name's Andy. I'm one of the leadership team here. It's great to be uh, here this morning. Uh, privilege of um, speaking, looking through God's Word with you. Uh, looking over this way briefly, my with my wife Ruth and I, we lead the student ministry, and it's great to be involved with you guys. Uh, we do have a student lunch today, and I gather we've got lots of new students today. So if you want to connect in with Chris and Steph, the newly engaged Chris and Steph are hosting lunch with Andrew and Georgina today. So do connect with them. We'll try and get you back into town at a sensible time, like about three o'clock or something. So it's, do, do connect in for lunch. It's a great chance to get out of the city bubble. Um, I am uh, speaking today on this series, Forged into God's image. And we've, been, we're, we've done three or four weeks of this now. We've been looking at how God uses uh, circumstance often to shape his people into the kind of people he wants them to be, to forge them into the kind of people he wants them to be. And we've looked at, Claire spoke to us four weeks ago about Abraham and how God forged him to be a person of faith and obedience and how we're supposed to follow and emulate Abraham. Steve, our pastor who's up in Teesside this weekend, Steve looked at Moses and how God forged him to be a, someone who brought freedom into situations. That was a great week. Um, Lois looked at... Da- These are all great weeks, actually, so I'm not going to say this is a great week. But um, Lois looked at Daniel and how God forged him to be a man that saw breakthrough amongst his people. And last week, Steve looked at how, we, um, how he forges us, how God forges us to see prayer and activity work together. If you remember, who was around last week? Yeah, many of you. So, um, we're, going to, we're carrying on with that series. God wants to forge his character, his DNA, if you will, into us as his people. And he wants us to be people that carry the character of God and the, the passions of God into this world. And we're looking through the lens of some Old Testament characters uh, about that. And this morning, I'm going to be looking actually at the lens through, through a couple of New Testament characters about how God works in us. And we're looking at... Cool. Um, what are we doing? God, what we're looking today, God wants us to go forged to be followers, is my title. I think I forgot to put that on there. Uh, God wants us to grow. Now, here's a picture I found on the internet this week. And I thought this, this sums up really well what I want to say, and we'll, we'll come back to this picture. Um, it all looks very neat and tidy, doesn't it? Who has tried to paint their house with their child? I normally leave that to Ruth in our house because I can't be bothered with all the mess. But um, uh, it's a bit of a muddle, isn't it? You, you think, no, I really, I want them to help. I want them to grow. I want them to take, play their part in painting our house. But you know you're going to get paint on the floor. You know it's not going to be quite right. You know it's going to get all over the skirting board. You're going to have to do the skirting board again. And you wish you didn't have to do that because it takes more time. And, and it's, um, but a good parent will work with their child and put up with this mess and imperfection because they see that beyond the mess and imperfection is maturity and they're pushed they see ahead they have a vision for their child to become an adult that can paint their own house and um that seemed to create a bit of a perhaps yeah um so i want to say i want to suppose i want to just draw into this picture and look at uh, two or three things that uh this picture highlights for us about how God thinks about us as his people. And then we're going to look at the scriptures, and, and I'm going to draw a few conclusions. So firstly, uh, God loves imperfect people. I want to say that very clearly. God is not looking for us to be perfect. God loves it when we get the roller out and make a mess. Not because we're making a mess, but because he loves us taking part and playing our part in his purposes. God loves imperfect people. 
In my own Bible reading at the moment, I'm working through Genesis, the kind of middle bit of Genesis where you get Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if any of you are familiar with those stories, um, it's a right old mess. It is a right old mess. They keep repeating the stupid mistakes the previous generation has made. They don't seem to learn. They get into... There's a kind of family line of deceit and lying, as far as I can tell, which... I mean, it's just quite utterly dysfunctional, this family. And yet God chose them. God chose, God chose to use them to bring his word, his um, demonstration of family, his, his message, his, his love into a world. And God loves, God loves those imperfect people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their family members. But, uh, and he loves us too. Uh, he maintains his promise, his covenant, his choice, his love, his purposes through us. And we all, however messy we perceive ourselves to be, we all get invited. And I want to say that really clearly up front, because we're going to be talking about being changed, but God loves us. God loves us. He loves imperfect people. He loves us right as we are, and despite all our messes. In fact, the New Testament says, while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, he sent his son to rescue us. He sent his son to come look for us. So God has always loved imperfect people. And so I want you to hear that this morning. As we talk about how we can push into the purposes of God more this morning, I don't want you to exclude yourself because you think, well, I'm a bit of a mess, really. If only he knew what I was really like, he wouldn't be saying that to me. But God loves you. God loves us all. God wants us to play our part in his purposes. So that's the first thing. Uh, Secondly, God loves to work with imperfect people. So God loves us. God also loves to use us and work us and have us as co-workers. So God loves to paint the wall with us because um, he, uh, he's a father who loves to work through people. That's God's intention. We see, I think we see this most startlingly, most startlingly in the New Testament when Jesus came on this uh, sort of rescue mission from God. Um, it was the great world-changing moment in history. Jesus is the focal point of history. His activity in humankind, utterly sort of world-changing. Now, if it was me, and I was Jesus, I'd have charged in on my great white horse, going, ta-da, I'm here! It's me, Jesus, I'm here, I've come to rescue you all, I'm, he- I'm the hero. Perhaps some of us would have done that. Um, but what did Jesus do? He came in obscurity... He came in poverty, and forced migration was a part of his story. He came in amongst mankind and saw their mess. And he didn't just see it, he lived that mess. He was right in there with us. God loves to work amongst imperfect people. He was, Jesus was in obscurity for 30 years before he spent three years uh, training 12 broken, messed up, dysfunctional people to carry on. It's, it's, I just I find that a, a little bit weird almost. Like, God, why did, you could have chosen another way. Why did you choose such a fragile way to come and bring your kingdom into the world? Why did you choose 12 fragile, broken people? You could have, there's all sorts of other ways he could have chosen, but Jesus chose, God, Father God chose to send Jesus to, to work with 12. There was more, of course, 72 and others, but he chose to work through us to people through people. And God's strategy, uh, his heart, is to work through 
us, to co-work with us, despite our mess and failure and dysfunction, our fallenness. Uh, there's a wonderful picture in 2 Corinthians that talks about treasure in jars of clay. Some of us may be familiar with that, that image, treasure in jars of clay. It's like, it speaks of the, the treasure of God and his purposes and his image, and his, but, but in this messy, broken pot. I think it's a wonderful picture of God. He, he, he uses us. He works with us. He, and this is wonderfully empowering. You know, it's, it, it gives us value and dignity because God wants to co-work and church, that's, this is our identity. We're honoured children of God, commissioned with purpose. We're not, don't, don't look at your brokenness. Look at the treasure inside. So God loves to work with imperfect people. And the third thing I just want to say as part of this introduction is that God grows imperfect people. God, I could have picked different words here, couldn't I? God grows, God forges, God changes, God disciples, God improves. I don't know, there's different words we could have picked. I chose the word grow because I think it's the best word in this context. But God wants to work in us as he works through us. Let me say that again. God wants to work in us as he works through us. Bex um, prayed out that prayer this morning, which was an invitation to go deeper, a call from God to go deeper. And that's what I want you, that's the heart I want you to catch this morning. There's a call from God to go deeper, even as he loves us as we are, and even as he, as, he, as he chooses to use us in his purposes. He wants to change us. He wants to forge us. He wants to restore us. Um, people sometimes ask today, if he loves me, why do I need to change? Or to put it another way, does God only love me if I change, if I'm fruitful? No, the Bible says... He loved us even when we were far off, as I said a few minutes ago. But he also loves us enough to change us and to make us more into his image. I think Hillsong have brilliantly captured this in a song. Some of you may know this song. It's called As You Find Me. It celebrates God's unconditional love and his love to change. And there's a chorus bit where these two lines kind of interweave and flow together. And one of them says, you love me as you find me. And another bit says, your love's too good to leave me there. You love me as you find me, and your love's too good to leave me there. And that, that, that pairing of those two truths is utterly in the Bible. And God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. That's the heart of Father's love. This father, helping his son paint the wall, loves this son just as he is, with all the messy paint that's everywhere. It's looking a bit tidy, that, that, those shirts, aren't they? There'd be paint all over them, really. God, this father loves his child just as he is, but he loves him too much to leave him there. He wants him to grow into an adult and to, um, and to just yeah, find maturity and growth. God's love is, God loves us as we are, but his love is too good to leave us here. Now, the New Testament talks about this process using different words. The word that we get in the Gospels is the word disciple, uh, which... Incidentally, it's a far more biblical word than Christian. We tend to talk, you know, self-refer as Christians. I'm a Christian. The word Christian isn't used very much in the New Testament. The word disciple is used far more. And I think it points us in a slightly different direction. Um, here's a couple of early disciples. We'll come back to them in a minute. Um, there's a, one of the, TDNT is one of the um, New Testament dictionaries. It's a dictionary of what the Greek word really means, all right? So it's a biblical dictionary. And it says, disciple 
always implies the existence of a personal attachment which shapes the whole of life of the disciple and leaves no doubt as to who is deploying the formative power. Disciple employ, implies personal attachment. This is a pers- We talk about relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. That is right at the heart of discipleship. We're connected to, we're loved by, we're in Jesus' family. But it shapes our life. It should shape our life. That's what the word disciple means. And it leaves no doubt as to who is deploying the formative power. Jesus is our uh, rabbi. He's our discipler. He's the one who's shaping us. That concept of discipleship is right at the heart of the New Testament. But often we just read the word disciple and think of it as some kind of direct substitute for Christian. Or Christian disciple, it's all kind of the same thing. It just means someone who has a religious faith about Jesus. No, no, no. The word disciple means follower. It means someone who is allowing their lives to be shaped. Interesting thing is, as the New Testament goes on, the word disciple kind of fades out of, fades out of the story a little bit. And it's replaced by another picture. Because the word disciple makes sense in a Jewish context. I've had to explain to you what the word disciple means. So the word ceased to have quite the same resonance with culture. So it's replaced by another image, which takes us back to this image. The, The idea of father and child, or parent and child, is a picture that as the as the gospel moves from its Jewish origins into the the Greek world, the idea of parent child comes in. So this metaphor, this picture of parenting is a great um, picture, I believe, of what God wants in his church. He wants us to be people that are learning like children and helping others learn like parents. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not a status thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a function. We're to learn from others like children and we're to train others and to play our part in God's great family. Remember, Jesus chose to work through people and uh, we, we all have our part to play. And now we've all been parented. Um, obviously, some of us have seen good parents. Some of us have seen not, not so good parenting. And even, even when parenting for us has not been great, uh, it probably only serves to highlight even more what, we, what it should be. We know because our, this parenting context isn't great, we actually, it, it kind of underlines what good parents should be. So the parent-child idea continues to be a helpful way of looking at discipleship. And I want to say, too, the other thing I want to say clearly is this is not just for leaders. This is for all of us. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go and make Christians or go and make people who go to church once a week. He said go and make disciples, people who give their life to follow. And then in Acts and the rest of the New Testament, we see this go and make disciples being worked out as the disciples went. So... It's just a thing. It's not, this is not just for leaders. Don't tune out at this point. We're all called to this life of disciple, being a disciple and disciple-making. Now, if we think back to this picture here of um, the child learning to paint, if, if we, in, in the church, we, God has lots of, lots of means and ways to make disciples, to make us more disciples. So Sunday preaching, we trust, is a tool that informs us and changes the way we think about things and all that. Maybe you're in a community, a midweek group. Uh, That's a community context where you're learning together, connecting together, studying the Bible together, actually rubbing corners off each other. (laughs) That's part of discipleship too. Maybe 
Uh, the Holy Spirit meets you in a particular occasion, and the Holy Spirit does something quite dramatic and wonderful. That's another way that God meets us. Maybe it's through circumstance. Maybe you're having a tough time, and actually God is using that tough time to change you and refine you and help you. And all of that's really good. Uh, that's all part of discipleship. There's a particular part that I want to talk, focus on this morning, which is really about specific people in your life. Uh, we call this aspect personal discipleship or personal pastoring sometimes. And we th- if we think back to this child here, um, there's no good giving this child a lecture about the composition of paint or getting them to do it in a group, and if a, you know, self-facilitated group or something, or, or um, you know, just trusting it to work itself out. This is a time for one-to-one coaching a hands-on help so that this child learns how to use this roller. And there's a, the Christian life is not like painting, of course. It's a weak p- parallel. But there are a number of things in the Christian life that are very much best taught one-to-one. And we're going to look at uh, these guys again. This is Paul and Timothy. Well, it's not. It's a couple of actors, really, as you know. But it's, it could be Paul and Timothy. A couple of people pretending to be Paul and Timothy. Um, and... You know, we don't, I've just mentioned the, the kind of the value of that more personal discipleship. We don't often get to see inside that relationship. It's, off, it's rightly a private conversation. It's a conversation between two people, or maybe a couple to couple conversation. They're private conversations, they're deep conversations. But there is one relationship, this one, that we get to look into intimately. So I'd like you to turn to 2 Timothy, please. And we're going to look into this relationship. Uh, the words are not going to come up on the screen this week. Um, for the following reason, we're going to actually look at quite a lot of 2 Timothy. We're going to skim read through quite a lot of 2 Timothy to try and draw out some themes of how this relationship worked. And I'm unapologetic about this. Often we, we dive into one or two verses in the Scripture and sort of dig into those. But other, it's good other times to look, to read the letter. These letters were written as letters. They were intended to be read in one sitting and to communicate a, a theme and... Um, so we're going to read quite a bit of 2 Timothy this morning. We're going to take 10 or 15 minutes to do this and just dig in. And then I'm going to draw out some conclusions at the end. of This is one of the more intimate of Paul's letters to someone who sees him as a spiritual father. There's that word again. This is Paul's final and most personal letter. And I think God put this book, this letter into the Bible so that we could see how a good discipleship relationship is supposed to work. So I'm reading... Um, from the ESV, read whatever you've got in front of you. That's great. And I'm going to, we're going to start at the beginning. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Go down to verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. And I remember your t- as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I rem- remember, reminded of your sincere faith, a faith in your grandmother and mother, and now I'm sure dwells in you. Paul has a deep love. We, you capture that, don't you? There's, Paul's got a deep love for Timothy. It's not a formal relationship. It's a, it's a relationship. It's a, they're friends. They're, it's, it's a father-son relationship. And that's the first thing I want to draw out um, uh, or this Isaac, it stopped clicking. There we go. Thank you. Um, 
So the fact that there's relationship and care and concern in this relationship, we'll come back to that, we'll see that again. There's also encouragement in here. Um, you know, he's, he's saying, Timothy, I'm sure this faith lives in you. He's encouraging Timothy through this relationship. Let's go down to verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. To fan into flame the gift of God. This is a reminder of Timothy's calling, his focus. In this one-to-one conversation between discipler and disciple, Paul, the disciple, is saying, I remind you of your calling. Keep your focus. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't have a spirit of fear. Don't be ashamed. There's something, I think there's something, as you read on as well, there's something about character. Timothy's, I think, was a bit fearful, a bit timid. And there's something there that Paul is addressing and poking at and saying, Timothy, you can do better than this. You can, you know, do not be ashamed. Verse 9, uh, who's God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and, that, and I am convinced that he's able to guard that day, to, until that day, what has been entrusted to me. Uh, we think we could perhaps think of this little bit about Christ who appeared and manifest as a kind of little theological detour, but actually, Paul links it to Timothy's confidence and the fact that he doesn't want to be ashamed because you know who you believed. Paul is linking an aspect of theology to, in this case, to Timothy's, Timothy's character. Verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying to Timothy, follow my example. <coughs> follow my example. He says somewhere else, follow me as I follow Christ. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And then down to chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That by the Holy Spirit, in Christ Jesus, there's a theme that starts to come out of... It's not just Paul saying, follow me. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ and push into God. Push into the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit help you. Find your resources in God. So Timothy is pushed into God by Paul. It's not all, it's not all about Paul saying, look, I've got everything you need. He, Tim, Paul is like a... A companion walking alongside Timothy saying, Timothy, your mate, Jesus is your first disciple. So push into Jesus, push into God, but I'm helping, so I'm going to push you into God as well. Verse 2, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be also able to teach others. And I think this is focus again. He's reminding Timothy of the strategy, which is to invest into people who will in turn invest into other people. This is Jesus' strategy. This is now Paul's strategy. Paul's saying this should be Timothy's strategy. Invest into people. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who gets the crops. There's a challenge here to Timothy. Timothy, endure hardship Endure privations for the sake of focus in the kingdom. Pay the price, Timothy. 
And then he comes back and says, think over, this is verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. So he's pushing him back into God again. He's saying, don't just, don't just believe because I'm telling you. Ask God. Ask God what his heart for you is. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in the gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Again, a theological thing that reminds Timothy of the great purpose of which he is a part. If we go down to verse 14 in chapter 2, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do, not, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. There's that word shame again. Rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irrelevant babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. It's a sort of wonderful picture. Again, it's about focus. Keep focused on the main thing. Don't get distracted with silly words. Focus on the thing that God's called you to do, Timothy. Down to verse 20. In the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everybody. Again, there's character here. He's talking about Timothy's character and purity, a purity of life, Fleeing from youthful passions, moving away from silly conversations, not being quarrelsome, being kind, being gentle. He's, he's, he's poking, he's looking at Timothy's character and saying, come on, Timothy, you need to grow up more and be the man that God's called you to be. So character is a big deal for Paul. If we go down to 3.10, chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. You have followed them. I get the sense at this point, Timothy, Paul thinks it's a bit of time for a bit of encouragement. He's, had, he's challenged Timothy about a number of things, and there's a bit of encouragement. I think, Timothy, you are, you are doing this stuff. You're doing a great job. Keep going. I'm just going to skip a bit. Jump down to uh, 3.14. As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and from childhood, how you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God is back, back to God again. God, Timothy, dig into your Bible in our language. Dig into your Bible. Push into God. Find out what God thinks. We're going to, I mean, I could go on. I'm going to stop there just for the sake of time. But I'm encouraging you, I suppose, to sometimes read some of these particularly shorter letters. Read them in one sitting. You get a different view. Rather, you could dig into each, each sentence or each word, and that's, that is valuable. But you, you get another view by reading quickly. And I've obviously skipped a couple of bits there. But uh, dig in. And you get these, what I've got on the screen now is the kind of themes that have emerged through Timothy. And I want to um, suggest to you that these are great themes for a one-to-one relationship. When you're, when, someone's, when you're in a discipleship relationship with you with someone, these are great themes uh, to push into. Uh, challenge, focus, and calling. What's God saying to you? Encouragement, setting an example, 
it's all built around good relationship, pushing the person into God, looking at theology and beliefs and looking at character and attitudes. I could have picked lots of different headings, of course, because it's such a rich relationship, but uh, I'll pick those headings just for now. And just in case you think this was a unique relationship, um, I think I said this already, actually, but the New Testament is quite clear that this is the kind of life we're all supposed to be living. This is not just for Paul and Timothy and then it stopped after that first generation. It's not, no, 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 this is, this is church, this is how we're supposed to be living. We're not supposed to be living, coming to services, enjoying ourselves, going away again. We're supposed to be living as a community of disciples that are doing each other good, that are shaping each other, that are growing together in the things God wants us to grow into. Um, so how could we sum this up as we come into close. This, I mean, this is a rich topic we could take several Sundays looking at. I want to outline three simple ways of summarizing this, three kind of visual aids, perhaps. Firstly, um, this image, which we, we've used a few times. Some of you will have heard us talk about this before. Too often, this personal relationship, we see a bit more like going to a GP. So you go to the GP when you've got a problem. Um, you know what the problem is, probably, or you might know what the symptoms of the problem are at least, and you go to the GP and say, I've got this problem, what should I do about it? And they give you some course of action, and you do that, and hopefully the problem goes away. So it's problem-centered. It's good, it's necessary, it's vital. Um, We all appreciate that. There's another picture, which is the personal trainer. And the personal trainer, I think, is a better picture. What I read in the Paul-Timothy relationship is actually Paul was a personal trainer to Timothy. Timothy wasn't simply coming with oh, Paul, I've got this problem this week, what should I do about it? Timothy was, Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, come on, man up, you know, grow in God, push forward, be a man of faith, um, be all that God wants you to be, follow the calling, you know, keep focused, Put, let, let your character change. Timothy, uh, Paul was a, Tim, uh, a personal trainer to Timothy. And I, I remember a case, I was just trying to think of, think, think of some personal examples. When, I, when Ruth and I were dating, this is quite a long time ago now, when Ruth and I were dating, um, I was timid. I was probably a bit like Timothy. I was timid and uncertain. And in particular, I wasn't quite sure about this relationship with this girl. I probably was sure, really, but I was too timid to do anything about it. That was the issue, really. And Steve Thomas, who some of you know, who pastors us and still part, Stephen Lorraine pastors still, um, I was on a, in a car once with Steve going somewhere, and he started poking me. I said, so Ruth... So what about this girl Ruth then? Um, and here we are married. Um, you know, but I trusted Steve to do that. I had that kind of relationship with Steve. Where I, I wanted him to, to poke at me and to, to dig at my character and to challenge you. I wanted Steve to be a personal trainer to me. And my question for you is, are you allowing someone in to help you as a personal trainer? Or do you just want a GP, a pastor, when you need help? That's the first question. Secondly, um, here's a little triangle. Um, These are three words we use to sum up some of what we see in this passage. Accountability, discipleship, and care. Three aspects that could sum up what we've just been looking at in the life of Paul and Timothy. Care. We get care, don't we? We all want to be cared for by someone. That's great. Care. That's what the word word pastor means, shepherd, which speaks of care. That's that's what... what, um, so care's good. But actually, the kind of personal trainer relationship we're looking for, and the kind of personal trainership 
personal trainer relationship we see in Paul and Timothy, there's accountability too. Paul's saying to Timothy, come on, God's called you to this thing. What are you doing about it? And there's discipleship, there's development. There's, There's Paul saying to Timothy, come on, you can develop in this thing. Those are three words. I put care at the bottom of the triangle because I think care kind of supports the other two. Without care in the foundation, the other two don't really work. So care is absolutely vital, but uh, we need more than care. And we get this, we actually we get this teaching from Acts 20 where there's three words used of church leadership. Pastor, that I said speaks of care. There's another word used as elders, which is a kind of family development. I think that's the kind of discipleship thing. The, the, the elder is a family leader who wants the children to grow up and be able to paint the wall themselves. That's the kind of that's what's going on there. It's a fatherly thing, and oversight, overseer, which is another word used of leadership, which speaks of accountability. So these three words are derived from that passage in Acts twenty. But again, the question for you is: care is easy. We all want care. We all need care. Uh, it matters that we all get care. But who are you allowing to hold you to account on the stuff God's talking to you about? And who are you letting them in to be a spiritual parent to you? Okay, third little picture, another triangle, right, right way up this time. There were, as we get into this 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 discipleship relationship. What are some of the things that we talk about? We've seen this in the, in the Paul-Timothy interaction. We've seen this already in that conversation we've been listening in on effectively. Um, um, action, behavior perhaps, or how we live. There's two other things though, beliefs and character. And action is often the thing we see, isn't it? It's the thing that's above the surface of the wave. It's like an iceberg. We see the action. We, we perceive someone's bad behavior, or we perceive someone's good behavior, or we perceive this th- mistake that they keep making. Um, but under that, there's beliefs and character, and a d- discipleship relationship needs to look at all of that. Um, and the spirit of the age, really, today is to say, don't tell me what to think. And I want to say that's not what I see in Paul and Timothy. Paul was quite happy to say to Timothy, Timothy, you need to think differently. God wants you to think differently, and it needs to affect the way you live. This, um, who was here a few weeks back when Steve Bigu, who spoke earlier, um, gave his testimony? You were here, Steve. I know you were here because you were speaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, you, if you weren't here when Steve was around, get, look it up on the website. We've put it on as a blog. Um, Steve gave a very powerful testimony of how his ethnicity and family background, family history, has, has shaped his life and leadership today. It's a really powerful story. Um, if you've missed that, do read it. But don't just appreciate his testimony. Why don't you make your own testimony as you allow God to do this work in you? Uh, that's what discipleship takes us into. And I think the last thing I want to say is this. Um, this is one more, th- one more thing I think God wants me to say. So, some of us here are probably sitting here thinking, well, I don't really need to change. And I certainly don't want to be telling others that they need to change. It's kind of the spirit of the age, isn't it? Is, is let everyone do what they, they want to do. And I want to say this clearly. I believe this is what we read, what we see through the story of Paul and Timothy. And it's what God would say to us today. I need to be changed. So I'm not, coming at, I'm not speaking to you as someone who doesn't need. I need to be, me, Andy, needs to be changed, all right? Um, I'm 52. I still need to be changed. 
I still need to be changed by God. I need to be changed by God until I die, probably, because God wants to keep refining me and changing me and making me more like his son. I need to be changed. You need to be changed. You all need to be changed. Every single one of you needs to be changed by God. Other people need to be changed around us. And we have a part to play in changing each other. Whether it's through one-to-one relationships or whether it's just in the life of our communities in the church, we have a part to play in changing each other. And just letting people be who they want to be is not true love. Just letting people be who they want to be is not true love. We, we have a part to play in changing each other because of love. Think about that parent and child again. That dad who was holding the child with a roller, he loved his child so much that he was prepared to push through and see that child changed and matured. So how does this all work in OCC? I want to just simply say two, two practical things we do that I really want to invite you into. Everyone is invited. Uh, this is no... As we said at the beginning, no one's too imperfect. This is for everybody. Firstly, we run communities. Communities are small groups of us who meet during the week to do stuff together and do this kind of relationship. We're changing each other. We're communities to change each other. We do that through prayer, reading the Bible, having meals together, doing mission together. Whatever it is, all the groups are different, but we do stuff together and trust that God is using us to change each other, make us more into his image. The second thing we do in OCC is what we call personal pastoring. And actually, there's an, there's an event this evening, if you're um, interested in becoming someone who starts to help others, there's an event this evening that Simon's leading. Um, look on the website under that link, occorguk events, and you'll find the, uh, this pastoral care training. Thing. We'll just turn up at 730 it's out the front somewhere. Um, just turn up at 7.30. And I want to say to all of us, if you're not in a community, you're missing out. You're missing out. That's where God... Yeah, it's part of who we are as a community. You're missing out. God wants to work in you. God wants to connect you with people and through those relationships, through those loving relationships, to form more of Christ's image in you. And if you're not in a pastoral relationship, you're also missing out because they're good for us. They're good for me. I'm st- I still need pastoring. Um, and if you want to find out more about any of that, go to the welcome desk at the, at, the, at, the, at the end and you can find out more about either of those two things. If you want to find out what's going on this evening, talk to Simon or who else is involved? Uh, Ruth Morton over there or Bear, Bev. Bev was waving there. Lynn Waddington. Anyway, talk to, talk to one of the guys involved in the pastoral team about that. So those are two things. Churches, let me just finish. Church, we're all called to grow. And we're called to be a family of growers, people that help other people grow. So let's allow God to build those kind of relationships between us.